I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Let me begin with a bedtime story. Let me remind you what you came here for. You can forget all the bygone glories. I can live up to them anymore. I thought I would try something new. I couldn't refuse this chance to redeem myself. I know that it's been a long time since these little rhymes were ringing your wedding bell. But now I relax with a full-grown woman. Finally screwed down my head on straight. I got a heart like a propane oven. I got a mind like a sewer grate. I thought I would hold back for once. Keep pulling the punches. Wait till the moment's right. But heaven and almighty God, she's working her body parts like a flushing bride. You're hearing Bedtime Story by my guest today on the program, David Mead. Let me tell you a little bit about David Mead. Okay, so for a lot of artists just starting out, they have to go through what I call the scruffy apprentice phase. And all that is is a period of time where they're finding their voice and learning how to use it. And this happens over a lot of artistic mediums. For example, if you look at the comic strip Peanuts in the early days, Snoopy looked nothing like, well, nothing like Snoopy. He was long and thin and far more dog-like than he ended up being. Jack Kerouac's first novel, The Town and the City, had nothing in common with the ecstatic, spontaneous beat prose of his best-known later work, and take a listen to early R.E.M. live recordings. There was no enigmatic, poetic jangle to them at all. In fact, they were a jumpy new wave outfit that veered more towards rockabilly than alternative rock. My point is, even the greatest artists needed to figure it out before they hit their stride. And their early work has a ragged, rough-and-ready charm that only gets polished up after a few running starts. And then there's David Mead, who makes everything I just said sound completely wrong. There's not an ounce of scruff on Mead's 1999 debut album, The Luxury of Time. A shimmering pop song cycle, the album is as perfectly crafted as anything by Crowded House or Squeeze. Mead's divine falsetto and smooth pop croon made every track brim with majestic, melodic gold. It's as good of an example of out-of-the-box, ready-made perfection that I can think of. In other words, David Mead arrived, ready to go. And all I could wonder as I spun that record over and over and over again was, who is this guy? Well, all these years later, I have some answers. David Mead was born and raised all over the American South. His family moved around a lot because of his father's job as a salesman. Mead sang in the church choir and did school theater, but when he got his first guitar at age 13, everything changed. The young Mead grabbed that guitar and got to work immediately. He started writing his own songs, and by 16 he was gigging, and when high school was over, he moved to Nashville and played in the bands Blue Million and Joe, Mark's brother. In his early 20s, he moved to New York, signed a deal with RCA, 
And in 1999, that record I was talking about, The Luxury of Time, hit shelves. Now, it didn't hurt that Kenny Aronoff and the Mavericks' Paul Deacon played on the record, but Meade's elegant craftsmanship and polished pop chops had critics falling all over themselves with praise. And they kept falling. Meade's 2001 effort, Mine and Yours, was produced by Fountains of Wayne's Adam Schlesinger, and it, too, was a critically lauded disc. Now, I'm not sure if you're into numbers, but even if you aren't, consider these. For Meade's first two albums, he'd recorded 64 demos to choose from. I'm obviously no math expert, but those numbers tell us one thing. David Meade has no shortage of songs. Meade ended up leaving RCA, and his third album, Indiana, came out on Network in 2004, and it continued Meade's winning streak. The songs were catchy, economical, and lilting. In my opinion, it's a perfect record, and I'm not alone. Of the album's song, Nashville, Taylor Swift once said, I can't get it out of my head. Meade then put out the Wherever You Are EP, which was comprised of tracks intended to be on the original third album with RCA. Then, he got married, and he cranked out the quirky and charming Tangerine album in 2006. Paste Magazine called it dazzling, but I went even further. I always go further than Paste Magazine. I called it astonishing. Well, we were both right. The album won Best Pop Rock Honors at the 2006 Independent Music Awards. I was there, and I was seated next to the guys from Paste Magazine, and they went, See? I told you so. And I went, No, I told you so. It was that kind of a night. Anyway, back to our story. In 2008, Meade got divorced. He bailed on Brooklyn, settled again in Nashville, and put out the Almost and Always album. It was followed up by 2011's Dudes, and then, well, then that was it for a while. Meade got married again, he had two sons, and just kind of dadded around for a few years while he plotted his next move. And that next move is Cobra Pumps. A wicked platter of soulful pop, it's a dazzling return to form. From the tone-setting opener Bedtime Story to the soaring heights of the business, Cobra Pumps is rife with catchy, melodic sting and harmonic perfection. Now, this is just a partial list, but over the course of his career, David Mead has toured with Joe Jackson, Liz Fair, and Ron Sexsmith. His songs have appeared in Private Practice, The Bold and the Beautiful, Van Wilder, and Ed. He plays in the Key West cover band Fanny Pack and the Nashville 80s cover band Guilty Pleasure. And his work has drawn praise from everyone from Mojo to Entertainment Weekly to Nylon. John Mayer once gushed, David Mead is one of my favorite singer-songwriters. Well, he's one of my favorites, too, and it was a pleasure to sit down and talk to him. So, this is my conversation with David Mead. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I don't even remember. I mean, the last time I was even physically in San Francisco was probably 2008. And that wasn't even for my own thing, I think. Oh, you know, actually, I went out and played someone's wedding there for at some point, maybe in the last four or five years. But um, 
as they are not technically there, but uh, up at a vineyard somewhere. But, uh, you know, I drove by it anyway. Yeah, um, it must have been, maybe I saw you in 2002 or 2000, and it was a packed show, totally sold out, um, and it was a great show. Oh, great. Do you remember the other bands on the bill, maybe? You I'm just curious. I don't remember that. I'm trying to think how many times. I saw I saw your pal Matthew what? Ryan. I'd seen him a few months before at the same venue, um, and I can't even remember who opened there. But uh, I don't remember. But I remember you crushed it. Well, thank God. <laughs> the uh, the alternative would have been would have been disappointing for sure. So I'm glad I'm glad you took that memory with you. I'm glad that that was your impression. How? I've been I've been um I've been sort of scouring the the internet for uh, just like random untapped content I could throw up on social media. And I've kind of had to, uh, you know, plow through a certain amount of like what I would consider to be off moments as the internet is so apt at preserving for you. And uh, I don't, I, 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 I needed to hear that. Because I've just listened to about 15 versions of, of various things that were like, oh, right, that sounds like, let's see, if that was recorded there, then that probably means I was partying the night before in this city, and that's why that sounds like shit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's all coming back. Is there um, is there a lot of stuff that you're finding that you didn't even know existed? Um, well... There is, and and I'm remembering why I don't know it exists. Is just because that it's sort of a uh, it sort of exists in the world of like you know bad audio recordings or cell phone recordings or um, uh, you know I don't really look for interviews or anything. I'm just sort of looking for. Um, I mean, you know, social media. You have you know, you have your craft and you have this thing that you've been working on and distilling for years and, and you, you go to all these links to try to put it together and make it good and get it into the world. And it's like, and then you go to social media and you realize like, well, I need to mold this into some sort of thing that's going to basically compete with babies and cat videos because they rule social media. And it's like, okay, well, um, how do I come up with that version of what I do? So it's sort of like, you know, I, I guess I could dig up more literate, uh, insightful moments that were captured over the years. And, you know, my suspicion is that most people just don't have the brain frequency to really get into that. You know, there's like three or four out there who, who might, but um so it, I guess, sorry, it's a long way of answering your question to say it's like you're sort of looking for a particular kind of content. I, I found something that I had actually seen before but had totally forgotten about, but I'm so excited about. There's, there was a, uh, an acapella group at a competition in Johannesburg that did uh, an amazing acapella rendition of, of one of my songs, Girl on the Roof. Um, and it's just fantastic. And, and I like I have, I've never heard of or from these people i have no idea why they took it upon themselves to do it but i i'm really excited about reposting that i don't i can't remember if i ever did or not but it's great do you find that with social media that you have to be kind of curating instagram and facebook on a constant in a constant way because otherwise people's attention span they they 
they tend to forget you're there. Do you feel that kind of pressure? Um, I have before. And at this point, you know, I mean, I've basically just been dark on the internet for, in terms of like promoting myself for so long that it's all kind of gravy, really. I, I, um, it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, uh, I mean, there's a analytical side to me that, that, is a you know we'll we'll sort of maybe we'll definitely pay attention to numbers and stuff um and i i find it easier to kind of stay in that world than to get into the um you know it's dangerous i think when when you make uh music for example to uh get into that uh i guess they've isolated it as an actual physical reality you know these hits of serotonin that you have you know from from little like dashes of approval that social media gives you you know i just i think it's so damaging to uh any kind of real creative process uh because it is real if <laughs> it's absolutely true so I, I generally tend to stay away from it and because of that i don't really i don't really understand how to work it um i just sort of have a broad look like hey you know i know my people are um out there and i need to kind of gather them for this event and then i will present this thing to them and if it resonates with them then hopefully they will tell people about it and um but i mean i kind of look at it as like an isolating to be honest it doesn't really matter unless they're having their own conversations about it you know it's like i can as I, you know, you see a bazillion people doing, I can stay on it forever and keep tooting my own horn, but it's just like, how many times can I tell you that this is available and I think it's worth your attention? It's like, okay, after, after a certain juncture, I mean, I, I've obviously made my point. So it's kind of up to you. And um, beyond that, I'm just another person out there, you know, pushing their product. So I don't know if that completely answers your question. Like when, when I started uh, doing this, when which was pre-social media, I mean, almost, not technically pre-internet, but definitely pre-broadband internet, let's put it that way. So it's like people's level of engagement. It was like you could, you did have a feeling that you could very much kind of control the narrative. And, um, you know, at this point, we're like, I don't know, like 20 years past that being, well, maybe not 20 years, what, 16, 17 years past that even being a possibility. So I guess you can only care so much. It's like you can do all this stuff to, you know, present what you think is the acceptable picture of you. And then, you know, those crappy cell phone videos from some shitty night in Pittsburgh are still out there, just as available as you know, the photo shoot that you spent a thousand dollars on. So I don't know. Does it matter at this point? It's kind of like, I guess it's comforting in a sense. It, it still comes down to like, is someone just going to hear this song and like it so much that none of that shit matters? And that's what I'm hoping will happen. Yeah, that's so. the hope. I mean, that that is the hope. And were you dark on social media by choice? Or in other words, what was the shift? Um. Well, I I just don't I don't really uh, I don't like engaging with people that way. Uh, it's not it's it's not my 
you know, I'm definitely the sort of person that like if I if I go to a party, I will find you and hopefully pin you down to have a 25 minute conversation that's uninterrupted as opposed to hopping around and having, you know, minute and a half meet and greets with everybody. I'm terrible at the latter. I much prefer, you know, actually having some kind of long extended conversation and observing your body language and asking you why you're wearing that shirt. And, you know, that's just my comfort zone. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but social media generally strikes me as that you just miss all of that. You know, you miss the, what is so much of um, the human experience, honestly, because, you know, going back to your word curated, it's like everyone is branding themselves and everyone is presenting their best curated version of themselves. And most people, myself included, are terrible judges of what that actually is, you know? Like, I mean, take it to the furthest extreme, say, um, a marriage, you know, it's like at this point I've been with my wife for eight or nine years and we've known each other for almost 20. Um, and, you know, it's like so many of the reasons I'm in love with her and that so many things I find the most attractive about her are things I don't think she would ever intentionally present, you know, their little quirks, their little physical imperfections, their little, uh, you know, ways that she uses syntax that I, I don't think that's probably something that she would you know, put out an advertisement for herself, but they're endearing. They make her real. They make her human. I feel like social media tends to uh, strip a lot of that out of the experience of, of interacting. I mean, people end up kind of showing their ass anyway, but it always seems to be in some like <laughs> way that's just completely unattractive, like some really weird, uh, crazy overreaction to something they've taken incredibly personally that they would never do in person. You know what I mean? But the fact that they, I'll say we, cause I've done it as well, are sitting at a computer by ourselves, We've like somehow feel this weird liberation to do that. So um, yeah, it is, it was a choice and it will probably continue to be a choice. You know, like I feel, uh, have a conversation about this particular thing, this new record with them. And um but like I said, it's sort of a limited conversation. It's like, here it is. I really hope you like it. Um, and if you say things every once in a while that make me, uh, that resonate with me and I want to respond to, then I'm going to respond to them honestly. But um, I'm, I, I feel very inauthentic kind of trying to present this, you know, raw, raw thing like life. My life is exciting 24 seven. And, and I want you to. <laughs> share it with me you know my life is not exciting 24 7 my life is not very much different than anybody else's i just did this thing that i think you might enjoy i think you might be able to have your own experience with so i'd like you to take it away and have that experience but um i am not i am not really a, an entertainer on the level that is going to uh allow you or isn't it's going to give you like some sort of personally generated experience all the time although you know it, it is like a form that kind of allows you to just do some weird ass shit and throw it up there and see what happens which i, I kind of like that um but i don't really know that that is the sort of thing that you know strategically generates momentum or whatever i don't really know what works but you know here we are let's just like jack it up for a while and see what happens and then move on to the next thing.
in these glimpses now of social media, the things that you do, it's like people get a, you know, people get a chance to sort of see like, oh, that's, that's where he lives. That's the car he drives. That might be his cat. Um, people get glimpses of your life that they didn't used to get. And I wonder if sometimes if it's too much, I wonder if that's, if that feels not that it feels unsafe, but that it feels like, you know, you're peeling back the curtain of Oz you know, and and people are seeing like, hey, that looks like David Mead's kitchen. That's probably where he is, probably where he eats breakfast. Um, I wonder if for a performer, if that the illusion of because there's something Noel Gallagher said years ago where he said that people don't want to look up at the stage and see themselves. They want to see like a god. They want to see Robert Plant. They want to see someone that they can't necessarily be. Um, that's that that rock and roll experience of oh, Freddie Mercury is like otherworldly. Um, you know, David Lee Roth is like from a different planet. He's nothing like me. But with social media, it's like, oh, that's right. David Mead probably eats three times a day and he, he probably has to feed his cat and take it to the vet. In other words, there's a kind of like level of domesticity, which gets revealed uh, through these through this sort of social media outlet that didn't used to be there. And I wonder I wonder as a performer, how you feel about giving those little glimpses. It's the longest question in the world, but I wonder how you feel about giving those glimpses away to people or if that bothers you at all. Well, I, I guess when you frame it like as a performer, I, I, you know, it's more as a fan in some respects that it bothers me because I, um, like I might extend Noel Gallagher's, summation a little bit but it's almost like yes i i always wanted to look up and see like a god on stage but but also like maybe a glimpse of of you know possible god like qualities within myself like i I wanted to feel that connection and be like you know i know this guy's a human being like i could achieve that level of transcendence in whatever I do. I mean, for me, it was like, well, Lee, I literally want to be a musician like this guy, but, um, you know, for, it could be, I think that's the, you know, that's the, the juju that gets generated by people operating at the height of their abilities, you know, it's just a very attractive energy, but there's a mythology around that too, because what's happening there is I, as a fan, am injecting myself into the experience. I'm engaging with it because there's so much, uh, there's so much excitement and imagination that is, that is triggered that suddenly that experience becomes much more dear to me because it's much more personal. So what happens with social media to me that's different, uh, then how old are you, Alex? I'm 48. No, no, it's fine. I'm I'm 48. 40. I think I'm a few years older than you, right? Yeah, I'm 45. So okay. you know, when you and I were growing up, I'm sure we had very similar experiences. Like I walked a mile and a half to the Sam Goodies, and I bought the record I wanted, and I opened it as soon as I walked out of the store, and I spent the mile and a half walking home reading every lyric note and a lyric and liner note, and then I just sat in front of a you know, hi-fi system listening to that record for three hours and doing nothing else, just staring at the artwork. And, you know, so it's like we had these sort of long, drawn-out meditative experiences in which we kind of communed with music on this level that required us to, 
like mentally, spiritually, like get into it and to draw, you know, like make up our own stories about it. So it's like instead of, say, seeing what Bono's kitchen looked like in two or three clicks of a button, it might occur to me to just make it up in my head, which meant that my experience with the music was so much deeper. So, I mean, you know, that's a summation because I can't really speak to anyone's experience who uh, does not share mine, obviously, but it stands to reason, you know, whereas it's like when I can just find that picture on social media and the question is immediately answered for me, then, oh, okay, well, that's one level less of engagement that I actually have with the music. And that, to me, is is the sad thing about it. That's what I wish I could, um, you know, somehow get across to everyone uh is that if it if you if if the if the tools at your disposal were fewer if you would allow yourself to get more invested in this then your experience would be richer i guarantee it and the that you know i think you used the word you did domesticity that that sort of normality that that social media kind of it's like this weird thing you know social media like going back to what i was saying earlier it's like it it makes civilians feel like they need to be entertainers and it makes entertainers feel like they need to be civilians when in reality it seems like the natural order of things was a lot more entertaining when it was was still in place you know (laughs) um I mean, I hope that doesn't mean that, that I don't mean that to sound elitist as much as like there are some people who like when I say entertainers, I don't even necessarily include myself in that because I don't really I don't feel like I have that gene so much as it's like a Lady Gaga or something. But it's like, look, those people have a gift of like, like they do that thing that you're talking about. I know uh, Noel Gallagher does that thing that you're talking about. Like they they take us out of our everyday and it's like suddenly when they're live streaming their life 15 hours a day, it's like, yeah, well, they're just kind of this person. And I don't even understand how that connects to the music anymore. I mean, I find it confusing. So I guess I feel a little disingenuous replicating that for people that I feel like like my music. You know what I mean? I just kind of want to, I want to uh, respect the work that I just did by, giving it opportunity to kind of get into their lives. Um, so I'll participate. And uh, and also, I, yeah, I think a, there always has to be a lot of gratitude with it, too. You know, like people, I think it's important for me to express and for people to understand that I'm, I'm really grateful that they have taken a chance on me and that they support me. And furthermore, that they're, and, and most importantly, that they're going to, uh, I guess, take a chance on the music and that that process kind of continues. I like that about social media. I like that you have the chance to um, personally engage with people for that reason, you know, because that's something that I think did used to get lost. And uh, I think there's something to that. I always say like when gratitude is expressed, there's, there's an energy that happens that's important. Um, and I like the fact that rock stars again not claiming to be one but i'm just saying that that they can't necessarily 
get away with the asshole pose anymore. You know, I think that's nice. It's true. And, and there's also like, I remember my junior year of high school, I got a copy of Skylarking and I listened to it and it was, it was spring here in California and it's a very spring album and there were no pictures of the band on the record. And it was just this weird fevered spring world um, of mystery and strangeness. And I remember sort of my, my imagination about who those guys were and, and what the sort of circumstances were in terms of how those songs came to be um, made me more creative in my, you know, the rock and roll fantasy. I was filling in the blanks of who I thought XTC were. Uh, I may have been totally wrong. Um, and so there's a little bit, I like the mystery of that because it sort of makes you think, cause you were saying you would stare at album covers. I remember, you know, I would get albums by like, uh, you know, the band felt or Robin Hitchcock. And I would sort of start thinking about like, who are these people? Cause there wasn't a lot to go on. Um, and so Absolutely. you sort of, right. So you kind of create this illusion about, I think I even did it with you with, with your first two records. Cause I was like, where'd this guy come from? Who's this? Um, cause I didn't know a lot about you. And I think I sort of created, um, you know, even at 35 or something, this sort of myth about who you actually were probably because you know, I didn't know. Um, and social media kind of, it, what it does, it kind of melts away the myths. So you don't really do any of, of that sort of, that sort of, uh, fantasy in your brain. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I, I just, one more thing I thought about, I have a, a six year old who goes to a, a, a Waldorf school and um, I don't know if you have kids or if you're familiar with that methodology at all, but it's all very like, you know, none of the none of the all the toys are wooden for one thing. None of the dolls have faces. Um, there are no colors. It's all just like this very kind of like organic um, uh, experience is not the word I'm looking for. Uh, the word that has to do with touch. Um, oh, like tactile. Thank you very much. That's that's the the tactile experience of it. And the idea is like, look, we, we don't want to have toys here that really perform any advanced functions for kids. We want them to inject their own imagination into the experience. We uh, want them. We don't want them. We don't want them coloring color. We don't want them using colors to color uh, pre pre drawn uh, coloring books. You know, we want them to draw that from scratch because it's like everything about everything about the educational experience is inviting the children in. it's inviting their imagination to blossom so that that's a kind of a tried and true educational method that's for early childhood education and i it, to me there's such a parallel between what listening to music used to be and what it is now you know now it's like the buzz light year that says 15 different voice prompts and um you know flies and shoots four different projectiles <laughs> which i love buzz lightyear so i hate to use buzz lightyear as the example but it's that as opposed to like uh you know some plain wooden figure that uh you just kind of have to sit there and completely make up a story about um and I had that exact same experience with Skylarking. It's funny you say that. I'll do, I, I think I had the cassette first. And I do feel like that picture of them dressed up is, I don't know what they are, like 18th, 19th century monks or something. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like 
it's like the, this picture of them with no instruments. They're just dressed in this in these hilarious costumes, just looking at the camera. And you're like, what the fuck is this? And you're right. I mean, God almighty, I invested so much energy into creating the whole because yeah there was no press about that record i mean there was if you knew where to dig it up but when it came out i didn't know how to find cmj or whoever was writing about it it was like um you know it just wasn't there so it was like yeah it was completely you got to make up your own story about that and like what an amazing record to i mean that's the kind of thing where it's like you you start to realize that there are all these like as, as a young musician or a young music fan even it's like it's almost like as a as a young writer you know people will tell you um if you if you really want to have emotional impact for example then you need to come up with very some very strong visual details in your scene that are things that people can like hang the experience on emotionally they're like little punctuation marks visual punctuation marks that really help your cause so to speak and i started to hear music that way and that record was such an example of that you know it's like oh that's why that's that's why having that little run or that kind of harmony or whatever like that 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 brings out an emotion and that makes me feel something that i want to pass on or, or replicate and i'm so thankful that that i started listening to music at that point in history because that that was the kind of relationship I was having with it. I mean, that was in the eighties or the maybe yeah, in the eighties. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, people are like, why don't we have a, why don't we have any Beethoven's or Mozart's anymore? And it's like, well, think about what other stimulation those people had to get in there to, to distract them. I mean, compared to what we even had in the eighties, it's like they would, they would walk around a walk around a nicely manicured garden and listen to birds like they had the, the, <laughs> I mean, just the, the of, of 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 uh you know brain that those guys had to concentrate on what they were attempting to accomplish just must have been infinite compared to what modern life leaves us but anyway sorry that's getting yep. way out there I got my head on straight In a car by the 7-Eleven Well, there was no one to blame There was no warning light See, I was only a boy Wearing a raggedy coat of my father's Yeah, I was only a boy 
guess the, here's the way I treat it. You know, the, it's, it's a, the, the way that I think of music right now. I, 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 I'm past the point of feeling like it's something that I create as much as it's something that I get to participate in. Um, I studied uh, one of the things I did in my uh, absence from making solo records was, was I took jazz piano for about a year and um, I just kind of wanted to do something different that I felt like would sort of open my brain up. And, and uh, it was a great move, actually. It really did that on a lot of levels. And, but, but, you know, what you, what you realize really quickly when you start really hunkering down and attempting to woodshed is, is one, if you ever want to be a great pianist, you, you should really start by the time you're five. And um, <laughs> two, just like you submit to the process. You submit to the process of just playing scales. You just have to do it. Over. You have to just have that stuff muscle. You have to have so much muscle memory. You have to have it under your fingers, as they say. You There's just this whole process, and it it really heightened my respect for just music as, as something that exists before you and will exist after you. And it's like the best and it's this whole relationship, which I think begins with experiences like we've just been talking about. It's this whole relationship and process that's happening in your subconscious um, that is yours, but it's also a communal thing, you know, and and you sub, you just have to submit to that experience. Like, do not think you're in control of it. Um, just try try to get as deep into it as you can. And again, like participate, don't, uh, and that's, that's, that, that is my goal with music. Like that is my goal for the next 45 years of my life. Like, um, I just want to try to get as far into that experience as possible. So going back to like that person of David Mead, it, it, it has taken on a lot less importance, you know, um, if, if there's like a, I don't know, like an avatar or something. When when I think of myself now, I try to put myself in situations where I'm like having a, an experience similar to, like what I see my sons having, you know, the, the six year old and the two year old, just with everyday life. Like there's just this enthusiasm and this verve and this attention to detail that just seems so minute to me, but there's an enthusiasm that comes with the newness of it. And, um, that's, that's kind of how I guess I, I, I view myself. I, I don't really, as much as I can, I'm trying to, to do stuff that I'm not as comfortable with, um, but is also effortless in a way, uh, just because there's a desire behind it, um, which is, is, I think is what I was Maybe not intentionally, but I, f I feel like that—that's what happened on on uh, my new album. That uh, you know, it's it's for example, it's crafted very much around the electric guitar. Which even though I played guitar for decades, I I didn't really like fall in love on that super geek level with the electric guitar until probably like the last three or four years. And so I. I I'm still an amateur in some respects with that instrument. And I still have that excitement and that fear and that respect and awe for it. And for all the, you know, the zillion people who have gone before me and are currently active and who are also participating in that instrument and who are, 
you know, trying to find a voice with it and who are, um, you know, just trying to do something with it, uh, trying to play with it because it is just play, you know? Um, and so I don't know. I, that's, I hope that's what comes across with, with anything I'm trying to present. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I think I understand where Justin Curry is coming from when he says it's a character. Um, it, it is sort of a role because it, it's like, it, it, it's in the sense that it's something you get to step into, which is hopefully larger and more exaggerated. It, okay. Here, I'll tell you what the goal is. I'm not going to pretend that I achieve this every time, but it's like you, you have, uh, you want to tap in. It's like you have this, you have this kind of construct of like a performer and an audience. An audience is, is there for a reason. And, if you've put yourself on the stage, let's assume that you think you have, uh, uh, oh God, this is going to sound so like magical thinking, but, but it's, it's really like conduit. You, you know, you want, you, you, you want to just kind of be a vessel that something goes through. So, um, you don't want to do anything to get in the way of that if possible. And, um, so in some respects I find it better if I can think about what we're talking about as little as possible um, uh, and just, well, and just play the music and respond to the music, you know, because it's always, it's different every night or, you know, every, every situation is different. You know, it's like, I've uh, had some really good shows in like conference rooms while people were eating pizza under fluorescent light. And I've had some great shows like, at the Ryman auditorium. Um, it, but it's just kind of all about like, well, what is this moment and what's it going to be? And just, you know, try to stay off script. Cause that's usually when interesting shit happens. Um, so when, when you talk about a character to me, a character is someone like, like you have to be the same, the same guy every time you get up there. And I'm not really interested in that. Like I, uh, you know, sometimes I do a show and everybody knows who I am. And sometimes I do a show and no one knows who I am. It's like, you're two very different people. So kind of like serving two different purposes potentially. But if you go into it every time thinking like, well, everyone should know who I am. And look, I've done, I've been that guy. I've, I've, I've done that tour before and just resented it when people didn't. And that, it's just me or was just me getting in the way of someone else's experience, which is the last thing you should be doing as a performer and the last thing that someone should be paying money to see. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I think I, I like that whole uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle. There's a, I'm sure he's not the only person who's thrown this out before, but there's this idea about identity. Like you are, you're better off just being whatever the moment kind of requires. Um, and I really like that. It's just like, look, you know, and some, some days, uh, my, my day gig is being a property manager, you know, some days I'm the guy that goes over and removes and cleans shit out of your toilet when it's plugged up. And then some nights I'm the guy who goes and plays music and, it's sort of like if you just decide to, if I just decide to be one of those guys all the time, 
then the guy who just cleans shit out of the toilet is absolutely miserable. But you know what I mean? If I can allow myself to just be like, well, this is kind of what this moment requires. So I'm just going to, uh, I don't know, find the beauty in this and get on with it. It's like my life is a lot more enjoyable. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm just kind of like tapped into a flow a little bit more that makes sense. You did take a, a little break from making solo records. And then, so with Cobra Pumps, like, were you, how long were you cooking this one up? Um, well, you know, the actual execution of it from like the first note to uh, the end of it, probably, I don't know, it was probably like three months um, kind of having to do it in fits and starts for logistical reasons. But, um, the uh i think it was you know probably brewing for a while like again uh i think a lot of the the music on it kind of came from uh, uh uh what like a six seven year period of just uh trying a lot of new stuff um i mean i think i've, I've made that's probably the fourth record that i've made um and but the first, well, and since the fourth one that I've I've written and recorded, it's the it's the only one that I've I've written and record and recorded properly, re- with the emphasis on the recording, um, because, uh, and it's probably the I don't even know it might not be the most cooked, um, but it was, it, I guess like, uh, well, hold on, I'm getting off point at the. How long was that brewing? It's it's kind of a don't I really don't mean to be vague about it. I just it, it's it's a pretty simple, straightforward record on a, in, on a lot of levels. Um, but I had to try a lot of stuff that was maybe like a lot more challenging for me than that in order to get to a point that I was comfortable with that. Um, so and, and also just kind of like build up the resilience to get through it um and to and also maybe the keep uh honing the tools to keep doing what i was just talking about which is finding finding the things that are interesting and exciting within each individual song even within eight bar passages of of some of the songs you know um because it's it's you know like (laughs) i'm 45 i've made a lot of music and it's uh, it's very easy to approach something the way that you've approached things before, and I tried as much as I possibly could to keep uh, confusing that process on this record to keep uh, to just stay on my toes, and and I think I was mostly successful, probably more successful than I've ever been. On, on other records with that particular challenge and whether or not that comes across, I, I don't know. But um, for me, it was kind of a, a personal victory in that sense. I love the record and I love the fact that it has, um, it has this sort of punch to it. Um, I love it. I love it so much. And I think it's, it's one of my favorite things you've done. Uh, and I'm a huge, huge fan of your work. And I like the idea that you when I got your first two records, I, I was so amazed by how polished and um, they were just like perfect pop 
uh, craft. It was like it was just what I loved about XTC or loved about Crowded House. And I was like, how did this guy come out of the box with such? It's just so perfect. I love it so much. Um, and I and I like the fact that like Cobra Pumps is has a little more scruff to it, and it's a little. Um, even though I love, I love you know obviously all your all your music is just I, I'm such a huge fan. But this new stuff to me is like um, is really exciting because I like that balance of polish and scruff. Um, it, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know if I'm, I'm not explaining it very well, um, but does that, does that kind of make sense where it feels scruffier? Yeah, and first of all, thank you so much, and that makes me feel great. Um, and I love that we had the conversation about uh, the first Crowded House record and the XTC record specifically to predate that or to uh, um, set that up, just because that that is, you know, those were definitely two records that I aspired to make, and I think I probably have done my my best version of those already. And um, I, I wanted to do. Uh, I mean, it's it was kind of an accident that Cobra Pumps actually sonically sounds as good as it, 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 it as it does. Um, I, I really thought that you know, for budgetary reasons, my idea going into it was like, you know, I'm gonna make a bedroom pop record that where where the the aspects of the songs, like in like harmonically and and structurally, are are totally polished and totally there. Um, but I'm probably going to be recording most of it myself and performing most of it myself. So it's going to have kind of a, a scruffy, thank you for that word, quality to it. And I'm just going to rely on the charm of that and try to use that juxtaposition um, and see what happens, you know. Uh, and and um, and also, you know, there's, there's I, 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 again, like, I, I was just really, and I'm still in love with the electric guitar for the first time in my life. And uh, I just sort of set that up as a limitation, like as much as I could, I wanted to do everything on guitars and primarily electric guitars. Um, I shouldn't say a limitation, a, a parameter. And I, I like setting, I would feel like I've kind of done, I think my best records when, when I go into it with a, with a, not a concept so much, but but just like okay, we're gonna work within these parameters. Like it's just gonna be this until we can't stand it anymore. <laughs> um, it makes you, it makes you work harder. It makes you be more creative. And and it's just like you know there were so many uh, key things that started out as, as keyboard parts or potential horn parts or potential whatever that at some at one point like if it was luxury of time. I would have just hired the awesome keyboard player or the horn section to do it. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but it, it because I didn't even have that option with this and because I, I wanted to figure out like, well, what's the coolest way to play that horn part on a guitar? Uh, like what, what's, you know, how, how do you make that voice come out of a guitar? Um, it really pushed me to do some stuff that I'm very uh, proud of. And, um, I should maybe my accurately I should say proud to have been a part of because I had to solve you know it's almost like those those problems were presented to me and I had to come up with a solution for them. Um, so I think that that uh, scruff is, is just sort of a, is is kind of a, ba a balance of a few different 
elements, you know, there's, there's a, I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about. There's a wonderful thing about just getting older where you just kind of don't give a fuck on some levels. Totally. You're like, well, I have, <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it's so freeing, you know, I wish I could express that to 20 year olds, um, and tell them that they really have that to look forward to and that this is not actually the most carefree and easy part of their lives. <laughs> like, you know, you get to this point where, like, can you imagine where you just kind of don't give a shit on some levels and you're just going to go for it and say what you feel like is the the best thing you can say at the moment. It might be the, it ne- isn't necessarily the right or the wrong thing. It's going to be, you're going to make the best decision with the information that you have available to you. And I don't think the product of those sort of decisions is always uh, pleasant or polished or, you know, it's like, well, it, I'm sorry, I'm getting a call in here. Um, end. No, don't. I'm just not going to send the voicemail. There we go. Okay. You still there, Alex? <laughs> I am. I am. Okay. I love that I was just talking about being 45 years old, and then you got to listen to me have like an elderly conversation with my iPhone. Uh, <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, I, I would like to think that that's what it is. It's sort of just like the sound of, uh, of uh, you know, crotchety old man to a certain extent, <laughs> and then also like... Um, I didn't have anyone else there for the most part uh, correcting or refining or chipping away at anything. You know, it was really like a, a direct to audience kind of process in that I, I made demos of these songs. I went and cut the bass and the drums with the drummer and the bass player. Uh, I took what they did and went back and recorded all of my stuff and that was kind of it. And I took it to Ryan and he did a fantastic job of mixing it. And, um, it was just a very simple process. There wasn't like a whole lot of, uh, thought to it. And it's sort of like, because it started off with that small, humble thing, I didn't really have huge expectations for it. And so there weren't the, the weight of that was not on it. And, uh, you know, so much of it to me just sounds like, I'm sorry to overuse the imagery of my children, but they're so present in my life every day that it, you know, I just like, it just sounds like fun to me. It still sounds like fun to me. And I've been living with it for a while and I still drive around with it in my truck very loudly and just enjoy the hell out of it, you know? Um, so, uh, hopefully that's a good sign. And, and, uh, Man, that's a long answer to your no, no, question, but there you go. <laughs> I, it's funny because I remember hearing that when John Fogarty's Centerfield record came out, when he was recording it, they would do a song and then he would take it out to his truck and drive around with it. And that's how he gauged if it sounded good. Man, if uh, if he approves of that method, then then I am. That makes me feel much better. Yeah, that's that's a, that method seemed to work. <laughs> so um, it's funny because I always. 
um, I always talk about this guy because I think I'm so, uh, you know, obsessed with with what happened to him. But Lee Mavers of the Laws, I mean, he basically left music because he he couldn't he couldn't record what he wanted to hear. No, I'm sorry, he couldn't record what he was hearing in his head. And so to hear yeah. you say that you that with Cobra Pumps, it's on the nose, it's what you wanted, and it came out the way you wanted, is so refreshing to hear that artistically. Well. Good. I, I, you know, I, I also just sort of accepted up front that, you know, it could, it could have been a, a lot of different things, potentially. It could have been, uh, there were a few different ways to, to, to probably do it and maybe to have equally as successful results. You know what I mean? Like there's, 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 um, sort of like that, that theory of like, there's one and only that there's, there's the one and only person in your life that's going to make you happy. And I don't believe that and never have um, just because I think you could probably make it work with a few different people if you're open to making it work. Okay. Right. Uh, and that's, that's how I think you should probably approach record making. Like just get like say, say, Hey, there's not some absolutely perfect way to do this. It's just going to be like, see what happens and, and, and just, you know, stick with it and kind of, continue to be in the moment with it if you can and and what what ends up is not gonna be exactly what you expected to happen regardless but this one i was actually kind of shocked close to come out to what i thought it might be it's interesting how in terms of artistic development when you when you compare yourself now to you know where you were 30 years ago because you you were writing really fully realized pop songs um do you think of yourself as a songwriter do you think that you're that you've become better at it or is it something that we're always sort of chasing that perfection um i think i think um well, you know, I pro- let me uh, throw this out with the caveat that I live in Nashville, and the word songwriter is is kind of a different. Uh, it means something slightly differently if you come from Nashville, because there's an entire industry of people who are professional songwriters, as there are in LA and New York. But um, it's it's not that it's a it's not like it's a dirty word to me anymore. But I, I kind of think I try to think of it more as like well. Um, there's a length of music that I seem to excel at, which is usually between two and a half and four minutes. Um, <laughs> I seem to be able to come up with enough interesting material and arrange it in a way that, that is gratifying for that. There's so many people just writing songs and, and, uh, I'm, I would like to try to start approaching, you know, try to start thinking of it differently. Like, number one, you need a groove. Number two, you need a good melody. And then you need a harmonic um, interplay around that melody that, that keeps things interesting. And then you need a very simple idea, lyrically, that uh, you can sort of kick around. In hopefully in, in more uh, subconsciously generated ways than than consciously. Because I I think uh, 
you know, for a long time, I was I was very obsessed with the the idea of being like a, a literate, clever songwriter, and um, and that's I I kind of rode that pony as far as I could. You know, it's it's more like uh, at this point, I'm just sort of interested in like creating like a, an emotional and spiritual response from people in the most efficient way that I can. So I know that sounds like I'm just make really overcomplicating a very simple question, but, but it is honestly like how I think about it. Like I, I can't even sit down and be like, Oh, let's write a song. You know, it's like, well, let's, um, I don't know. And and somehow I kind of get back to the point where, you know, they just sound like I just sat down and wrote songs. Like I'm aware of that, but, um, but I'm trying to at least like, you know, frame it for myself differently. So I think that's, I think that's advancement. That's an evolution, you know, maybe it'll get to a, a point. I hope it gets to a point where it's better than it is. Um, but, uh, the, I think, I think in order to keep it fresh, we kind of have to kind of keep, um, changing the architecture of it a little bit and, and, and moving things around and, uh, you know, I really, I think the lyric that I'm the most proud of, and I didn't realize this until about a month ago, but on this record is that song, she walks like a grown woman. And the, and the, 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 the I didn't even think about this, but the, the, um, like it, it just all came out as a, as, as feel more. It's really about the word, the way the words felt. And I, I tweaked the content a little bit at some point, but like, uh, love of my life, a woman historic is not a delicate thing. She's not a flower you crush in a frame. You'll never control her. She's going to do what she wants. You better give her some room. That's the lyric of the first verse. And I was like, I love none of that rhymes. It, it's just like, it's just sort of a list of, of modifiers, you know, like, and, but none of it rhymes. It just feels right. It fe- and it's like, that's the coolest verse I think I've ever written. You know what I mean? Because it's like, um, for those reasons, I mean, not just because it doesn't rhyme, but just because it does like, why does that sound good to me? I don't even know, but that's the kind of thing I want to keep going after. I want to see like, well, can, can that get, can that get refined? Can that get carved up more? That's, that's, that's interesting to me. So yeah. And that's, that's an early contender for me, for, for one of my, my favorite songs on the album, but I know what you mean. And it sort of brings up this kind of world of possibility of well, now maybe artistically and lyrically, I can go a totally different direction. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is um, so cool. And you know, it's funny cause my, one of my favorite songs of all time by anybody is ordinary life. And I start because to me it's sort of like it just sums up perfectly how that sort of you know the mainstream world the quotidian world uh, feels foreign to somebody when you when you decided to be you know an artist to live an artistic life and you sort of uh, decided not to live a conventional life um, do you know when that was where you kind of went I'm all in with being an artist and did that ever scare you? Like, Oh, I, sh- I should go back to school and be a psychologist. Did, did you ever have doubts about that decision? Um, well, I, I think I, I still, I still doubt it because, um, it does not afford me certain logistical, I don't know, like practicalities that I require such as money. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, I st- and you know I did go all in. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I went to a college preparatory high school and and never went to college. Um, I, my options are limited as to what I can do. And then you know I'm so in a lot of ways far and away uh, more skilled at this particular thing, uh, for which I'm not sure that there's a marketplace anymore than than anything else. So. Uh, I'm I'm a, I'm asking myself that question at least once a week. Um, I mean, not on a super deep level. Like I I know that I think I'd spend my life most of it doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But um, uh, again, you know, it's that it goes back to that identity thing. Like I think it's good to keep asking yourself that question because it's like, well, um, it's a it's a, a uh, privilege and 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 you do have to earn it. There's nothing more annoying than you know listening to like an artist who does who doesn't really put who doesn't really do anything and hasn't really done anything for a while. Talk about art, you know what I mean? Any, any, anytime, anytime you get uh, you, that that conversation just gets so dry and academic and um, it's just kind of irrelevant. So it's like if 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 you're working, if you've got something, then I want to hear about that process. But um, whether or not, I mean, I don't, I don't know. So I, I I guess like it's an active process. You know what I mean? It's not a job title or a nameplate that you get at some point. It's like, are you doing it or not? Are you producing art? Then you get to be called that. But um, in a lot of ways, it's just a it's just a mindset and it's, it's a, it's a way that you approach the world and whether you're deciding the best route to get to a restaurant or, um, the best way to construct a conversation as you're having it, or, you know, it's just that. So, uh, it's kind of moment to moment. And in the same respect, I, I still ask myself like whether or not, uh, trying to pursue a living off of that is something I should be doing or not, you know? Never stops. You know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, so I'm really glad we did this. This is great. Me too. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, uh, it feels feels like it was the right thing to do. I'm, I'm honored and, and flattered, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I checked out your, the, the podcast, and I've had, uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be among that company. You're obviously someone who knows what the hell they're talking about and i'm glad that it's cool that we've uh, we've had some shared experiences with some specific records and and ways of ingesting them so i'm glad we got to share that sweet guy that david mead I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly did, uh, and I know you'll enjoy his album. Go buy Cobra Pumps. It's phenomenal. Uh, one of the year's very best. Uh, you can find all David Mead information at davidmead.com. All information about me, alexgreenonline.com. If you want to follow me on Instagram, please do so. Embers Podcast on Twitter, at Embers Editor. Stereo Embers, the podcast, can also be found on Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And hey, let's just say you're hanging around the iTunes neighborhood looking for something to do. Well, why don't you subscribe to the podcast? Just hit that subscribe button and iTunes does the rest. And if you wouldn't mind giving the podcast a rating, maybe a couple of comments with a few adjectives, 
thrown in here and there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we would appreciate it. Also, if you want to email me, please do it, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Maybe there's a guest you want me to talk to or maybe someone you want me to have back on the show. I can do that. Doesn't matter who it is. I can find anybody. I didn't mean for that to sound so creepy, but let's face it. That's a sentence that sounds creepy no matter how you say it. Uh, All right, let's close things off with a new one from David Mead's Cobra Pumps record. This is The Business. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.